This is episode number 266, Tackling Enjoyment Over Achievement with Tina Muir. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. You're a whole person with many different facets and interesting things about you rather than one thing. And I've been thinking a lot, actually, on that note about the buckets we put ourselves into, about how things that we might learn as a child, like I'm not good at this or I'm never going to be this because of identities that you were given or identities you were told you didn't have. And then as you grow up, you just continue believing them. But you can change that. And I think about about values related to that as well. Like I think for me, like a creative, I always think, well, I'm not creative. But then I have to remind myself, well, actually creating a podcast, creating things that I share out with the community, writing is creative. Like it doesn't have to be you go outside and, and paint a pretty watercolor in like 45 minutes, you know, but I felt when I was younger that that never applied to me. And so I have to constantly like retrain myself to think about it differently. I hope you're having an amazing week and it's only about to get better after you listen to this amazing episode with Tina Muir. I personally feel at my best whenever I get to have conversations with people or listen to podcasts where people go deeper than just the things that they do. They go into who they are, what makes them tick, and the identity underneath all of it. Today, I got to sit down with somebody that I'm really inspired by, Tina Muir, and she is the CEO of Running For Real, the largest global community of socially engaged runners. She's the host of the Running For Real podcast, which is a collection of podcasts about running, climate emergency, social justice, and a lot of other topics like mindset and courage and getting into the heads of some of the top performers and authors in the world. She also co-hosts the podcast Running Realize with Knox Robinson, which is exploring running culture, but diving into much deeper issues and conversations. And I've really been learning a lot from that one as well. In addition to her professional running career representing Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Tina is recognized for her story of battling nine years with amenorrhea, or Red S. And a part of her story is how she decided to retire from professional running to start a family, and how she is actually getting back into running and is training for her first ultra. Tina is the mom of two girls and also has tons of other projects on the go, so make sure to check out her website and also go to her Instagram. Those are all linked up in the show notes. An overarching theme of today's podcast is about doing something for the sake of the thing itself. So it would be like running for fun instead of running for the finish line, running for enjoyment instead of recognition. And it's so hard to decouple those things sometimes. One of the things I love about Tina is how honest she is and how comfortable she is being vulnerable. So we talked about some really important topics like burnout, amenorrhea, the evolution of her self-talk. We talked about passion versus compulsion, and we even got into climate change and running realize. So I definitely recommend you listen to this episode as we cover a lot, and I think that you'll walk away with some things to think about and to work on. If you love some of the topics on this show, things like mindfulness, positive psychology, sports psychology, and the evolution of your own self-talk, I encourage you to check out my Mindset Academy. It's called the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy, where I cover a lot of different things that will help you perform at your best. 
things like goal setting, things like self-talk, visualization, some different types of breath work, and even how to build confidence for race day. So go to moxieandgrit.com or sonyalooney.com and click Mindset Academy to join many, many others who have taken this course and who have progressed in their journey. I've had even people who have taken it to get their double black belt and to help them break past barriers there. I've had people who are race car drivers take this course. So it's been really fun to hear from you. And if you've taken the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy, I would also love to hear from you. And if you're like, no, that's good. I don't want to go all in on a course. Check out my weekly newsletter. It's at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. It comes out every Monday. And the topics usually span motivation and mindset. But I also cover other topics as well. I spend a lot of time researching every topic to make sure that I'm bringing you the most up-to-date information. So go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. I love connecting with you. And I'm so glad that you're here. So here is Tina Muir. Tina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Before we hit record, I was saying how excited I am to have this conversation because you've been a big inspiration to me and just the growth that you've had in your life and the way that you're so real and authentic and just the way that you communicate is so powerful. And I know it's changed so many lives. Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. And it yeah, means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. So there's so many different directions that we could go because you are very well-versed in lots of different topics, but I thought that we would start with something that you posted the other day. It was something about identity and how you would describe yourself. And this really resonated with me because I do lots of different things too, and I don't know how to describe myself. So I wanted to ask, how do you identify now? Because you do so many different things. Well, I would still answer that I still don't really know. (laughs) Um, And actually, yeah, what you're referring to is where I was discussing on what I call a together run, which these runs that I do where I literally carry my phone with a microphone attached and I run, go on a run and I um, (laughs) have people then I upload it to my podcast feed and people download it and take it on their runs. And it sounds so weird. And if you listen to it, not running, you will be like, what is that noise? This is the weirdest thing. I'm listening to someone breathing. This is really strange. But if you are running, there's something magic about it. But anyway, so I was talking about the fact that during that I was discussing when people say to me, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know how to describe myself. Uh, I don't know how to say what I do. I don't know what order to put it in because we tend to change the order depending on the situation. So I don't know what I, now I think I would say that, I think I would say I'm a mother first to two daughters. I'm an entrepreneur. I think I would say I am a former elite runner and someone who is trying to be real in this world full of uh, just trying to set up everything to look like everything's perfect when it's definitely not for any of us. I don't know. Yeah. So identity is such an interesting topic because a lot of us will define ourselves based on what we do for work or like what accolades we've had in the past or that we are currently working on, or even things like I'm a wife or I'm a mom. And just the thread underneath it all is also evolving if you're working on yourself. So I, I love thinking about identity because I don't have an answer for that either, but it's just a challenging thought experiment to say like, well, what is my identity? And what defines me? And I think that it comes down to values. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I've kind of changed my approach to this over the years. I remember hearing when people would say, 
don't define yourself by what you do or like your career is not who you are or being a runner and athlete is not who you are. And I think, well, what exactly am I then? If I can't say I'm a, I'm a wife and I can't say I'm a runner and I can't say I'm a, my, whatever my job path is, like, how, how do I describe myself? But over time I've understood that it means more than just yeah, it just means that you're a whole a whole person, not like with many different facets and interesting things about you rather than than one thing. And I've been thinking a lot actually on that note about the buckets we put ourselves into, about how like things that we might learn as a child, like I'm not good at this or I'm never going to be this because of like identities that you were given or identities you were told you didn't have and then as you grow up you just continue believing them but you can change that and I think about that like you said about values related to that as well like I think for me like a creative I always think well I'm not creative but then I have to remind myself well actually creating a podcast creating things that I share out with the community writing is creative like it doesn't have to be you go outside and, and paint a pretty watercolor with like in like 45 minutes, you know, but I felt when I was younger that that never applied to me. And so I have to constantly like retrain myself to think about it differently. So, yeah, I mean, I love thinking about these things. And I'd imagine probably a part of that is like the athlete side of always wanting to explore, which you would probably understand too, the athlete side of like wanting to be, to constantly be evolving and growing and improving. Yeah. Just like, wanting to always be better at something or just to to be learning and have curiosity in and of itself could be a big part of your identity. But, and that forms all these like quote outcomes of that identity manifested in different curiosities. Yeah. I I love that. I love that. We're brainstorming here. Yeah. So I actually wanted to go back because I'm guessing that some of our guests haven't heard of the amazing Tina Muir yet. Sorry. I say, I say Muir like an American, but Oh, that's um, how my, I'm so used to it being that now. So, so yeah, if people haven't guessed, you're not from the US. So mm-hmm. where are you from and how did you start finding your path to running? Yeah, uh, so I am from the UK, from just north of London. I moved to America when I was 18 on a track and field cross-country scholarship. And that is essentially the answer to your question there. But just giving a bit more context and information, I was a pretty average student in school, but I remember like not enjoying running in PE classes because we had to do I remember we had to do a cross-country rotation within school in England and I didn't like it as much as everyone else but then somehow found my way on the cross-country team don't really have any memory of that but I just remember competing at a local race and finishing fourth and thinking that's not that far away from first and then thinking like, okay, how could I get closer to first? And and then in England, I think similar to, I think Canada is the same with the running clubs. And so I went from there to join a running club and just continued to improve, but was thankful for a coach who was adamant he wanted me to run for life. And he really held me back, which as a teenager annoyed the hell out of me because I was like, why don't you, why won't you let me do more? But like now I just, I mean, I mention him every time. I'm so thankful. And he had to deal with my like, you know, essentially childish tantrums because I wanted to do more training. But anyway, so then 
came to the US, go to university, went to university here, and then, yeah, moved into professional running the marathon and half marathon level until a few years ago when I had two kids. And we'll probably go into that a bit more. And uh, that transitioned me away from running being everything, my career, my life, to running being a, an important part of my life, but definitely not the most important anymore. Yeah, I'm excited with all the different directions we can go with that. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about that is you said that you got fourth and you realized, oh, I might be actually good at this. Did you have that realization about anything else in your life before that point? No, not really. I mean, I was good at sports. I would say like I was in the top third of most sports, but this was within, you know, within a class level or within a a grade, I suppose, level. But thinking about being good in a citywide level which is funny now and you know this as an elite athlete like initially your city feels so huge like the idea of you being one of the best in in your age group this very narrow age group and a and a very and a town is like huge in your mind but then as you go up you're like that is really not as like big as I thought it was at some point but yeah um no I don't think so you know, I did other sports in clubs, but I was very much in the middle of the pack and, and all the things that I was good at, I think were related to the running being like, I was on the field hockey team, but I was good at that because I was just good at running around or I was good at swimming. And that was probably good because of, you know, the, I mean, I think the swimming helped the running to start with, but yeah, I think the running was the first thing I stood out in. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear like, what makes us decide to go for it and where that self-belief comes from? Cause there's lots of different things that we can do. And some people even were really bad at something and still decided to go, go all in and go for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And running is something in particular that I think is sticky and gives people confidence and drive in a way that other sports don't. And I actually think this in general about endurance sports, and I tried doing research as to figuring out like what it is about that, that gives people confidence and drive. What do you think it is? I think it's the simplicity of it, uh, a lot of it, in that running is very, you know, as they say, all you need is a pair of running shoes. I mean, that's not entirely true in terms of you definitely need more if you get into it. But to start with, you you need a pair of shoes and it's very easy to see results. I mean, even someone who is an absolute beginner and might only make it two minutes of running before they have to walk maybe the next week they make it three run three minutes and then four minutes. And it's very easy to track progress. It's right there. So you don't have to drive anywhere or have anyone else to do it. And so I think it just, you know, people have busy lives and people have not a lot of time. And so running is something you can kind of get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of you could run for 20 minutes and that's a solid work or run walk for 20 minutes. It's a solid workout but you also don't really need much to go with it. Um, And I think, I do think there's something about the inherent like genetical component with us is as human beings that running was a part of our life. It's always been a part of our lives. Like even, you know, going way back hunter gatherer, like chasing down an animal times to survive. So yeah, I think there's something that we maybe get in tune with. And I've interviewed some indigenous runners or native Americans, and they've talked about, connecting with the earth and how the run is high is actually you being connected to to what they say father sky and mother earth and I love that concept that there's something just like within us that is connected to running 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, mm. I'll have to check those episodes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really amazing to think about. It's not, again, uh, you and I were talking before we started recording about just the way we we view the world. And, and it's incredible to hear stories from Native Americans who, you know, were here a, a lot before everyone else, but also have this different perspective that is in the, of the same surroundings, the same place, but they mm. just see the world differently. And it's, it, yeah, like you said, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I heard you say that a lot of times people are interested in running because it's simple, but also because they see improvement. And I think a lot of us get really excited when we're trying something new or, or exploring an interest and seeing that improvement. But the better you get at doing something, the harder it is to see those gains. And especially at the elite level, like just getting 1% better is something really hard that you have to chase. And sometimes it can be really hard to find the joy in it because you don't love going out every single day and doing the training. And you also don't get that positive reinforcement every single time you line up. So for you, how did you wade through that as you started seeing results and becoming elite? And then, you know, as you continued, continued into your career, you know, when you've been doing things a long time, burnout is a really common thing that afflicts us all. So yeah. How did, how did you manage your successes and then staying grounded and then feeling, you know, working on the mental side of that? Yeah. I mean, I, at first I want to say that I think those challenges occur every step along the way. I mean, I think it's very easy to see what you said and say that at the elite level, the, the gains are so small and you work so hard and, and commit to all these extra tiny little things to get that smallest percentage of difference that, you know, might mean the world to you. But I also do think that it's easy to think that you said about improvement at the beginning, and that is very true, that there is a lot of improvement. However, I do see along every stage of people joining the running world that they're going to improve and then plateau and then improve and plateau. And each time you get to one of those, or, you know, sometimes quite often we have a go backwards stage at some point every time one of those happens, you come into this challenge of, you know, maybe you might go to the doctor and they'll say, well, running isn't for you. That's why you're injured or that's why this happened. You're not meant to do this. And people get disheartened. So I actually think a lot of it is harder for everyday runners because it can feel like someone who is at the elite level, it's very easy to say, well, yeah, it's worth these sacrifices. And yes, I'll try and figure out a way. If you have an Olympic championship or a world championship coming up and you're injured, all right, let's see what we can do to get you there. Whereas for a recreational runner, they're going to be told, well, I just, I don't think this sport is for you or like, you need to just take time off. It doesn't matter. So I want to start with that, but yeah, I definitely dealt with a lot of uh, struggles along the way in terms of motivation, getting out the door. And I did reach burnout at the end of my elite career so much so that I would be running in the morning and thinking, oh my God, I got to run again this afternoon and I don't want to, you know, even before I'd finished one run, I was thinking dreading the next and that's not easy to do. And once you get to that burnout overtrained state, it's too late. There's not really much you can do there. But I do find that for me, one thing that I've really come to rely on a lot in recent years is community, is having either one person or a a group or an online presence of people who know what you're going through. And just as you mentioned, my Instagram post of how good it feels when we as humans find someone who says something that we're working through or we know what that feels like to know that someone else is working through that 
it feels so good. And I mentioned at the beginning that we see so much like curated and perfected content in the world that it's very hard for us to feel sometimes like we have that we're the to make us feel like we're normal. We feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. And so I love surrounding myself with people who also are vulnerable and talk about the hard things and say that this is tough. And I find that that really helps me in those tough moments because that person will usually say some version of like, yeah, I know it's really tough. I've been there, but think about how good it's going to feel when you push through this or you get to the other side of this or you recover from that injury and you get to the other side, you're going to be able to use this motivation. I'm not sure if that answered your question or if I went off tangent, which my I question did. was, my question was kind of rambly and unclear. So, <laughs> which happens sometimes. Oh, that happens to me all the time. So you don't have to apologize to me. <laughs> yeah. Like I heard you say vulnerability is really important, especially in a time where a lot of people are putting out a highlight reel and are afraid to show vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I personally think that it's, yeah, it's scary to put the truth out there, but also it makes you more confident and makes you feel more seen and It also, like you said, helps build community so that people know they aren't alone. So it's actually doing a disservice if you pretend that everything's fine all the time, if you never show the hard days. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly it's hard to find that balance of, you know, nobody wants to see every single second of your day and every single time you're not feeling right, but, you know, showing a realness. And that's something that I really love about all the work you're doing is it is real. Like that's one of the titles of one of your podcasts is running for real, but it is so real. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. It's funny that that word, like, you know, running for real is the name of my company, the podcast, and and even my other show running realized, realized has the word real in it. Everything has real, but, and it's so crazy when you come to think about it, about, you know, people say that to me, oh, you're so real or thank you for being real. But when you like step back to have that, you're like, wait a minute, what? Like, thank you for being real. Um, It kind of makes you think about what world have we stepped into here? where like things are obviously turned the wrong way around when we're thanking someone for being who they are or like, yeah, admitting that things aren't always as they seem. And I think you're right. There is so much of, there's so much a a lack of vulnerability in our world and being able to say that things are tough. And I think that's a lot of what even is going on in the world in general right now is that we are so afraid to say, I'm scared about what our world looks like with climate change, or I'm a little freaked out about uh, this, you know, COVID thing, or, uh, you know, I'm scared for my race coming up this weekend. I already feel nervous. And, um, you know, you're understanding this as a parent as well, but I have a three-year-old and she just started uh, like preschool or nursery. And, you know, she said, she was saying like, my tummy feels weird. And I was like, yeah, my, my tummy feels a little like butterflies. Like I feel a bit nervous too, like with you going and trying to explain to her that it's okay to say I'm a little nervous or I'm a little scared. And so I'm trying to ingrain that in her early, but yeah, I just wish we saw more vulnerability in our world and uh, the ability to, yeah, talk about the ups and the downs, because I think we all connect with, it's not that we are like, sick we like preying on people's misfortune but it also makes us feel better about ourselves because we see that other people have hard things that they're working through too yeah like I think that a lot of times we're almost taught to repress or push away 
feelings of being scared or being nervous or showing vulnerability to use that word again. Mm-hmm. And like, it becomes not okay to feel those things. So people just try to pretend that they're not there and it makes it a hundred times or a thousand times worse whenever we do that. So having this acknowledgement that, Hey, I'm feeling this way and it's okay. Not I'm feeling this way and it's bad is a really important and powerful lesson. And it's, that's amazing that you're already teaching your daughter that. Well, thank you. It's uh yeah, something really important to me. And I want to add that, you know, just because you, uh, I've heard, uh, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and um, she talks a lot about vulnerability and she says, you know, she is a vulnerability researcher or vulnerability, whatever the term is, and she hates vulnerability. And I feel very much the same way. Like, even as I'm recording this with you, there's that little voice in my head that's saying, you're messing this up. You're not making sense. You're talking in circles, but like, it's being able to like hear that voice and say, Oh, okay. Thank you for, thank you for your input there. I'm, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna take that advice. I, you know, I'm doing just fine. But then being able to, like, I just did say that and say, you know, that sometimes we don't always feel like we're doing what we quote unquote should be doing or what we could be doing or good enough. But yeah, being able to be honest about what you're going through helps people to see, to, to love you more because you're not that perfect image that they then feel they have to compete against and compare up to, which makes them feel bad about themselves. So I love that vulnerability allows us to help others feel good about themselves rather than bad about themselves, which is what so much in our world does today. Yeah. And I would also add to that, that it makes you love yourself more Mm -hmm. um, because it's like, oh yeah, I have you know, flaws and I'm not perfect. And I have a voice inside my head. That's always telling me that I suck and I'm not enough, but that's okay. And I love Mm -hmm. myself no matter what. And you can, it's, I want to say that we all can say I'm enough no matter what. And I like to say that, but I admit that I don't always feel that even if I'm trying to tell myself that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh man, just the awareness around that is so important. Um, but I just wanted to take this in the direction. Cause you've, you've talked about mental skills and self-talk and meditation. So how did this start, start interweaving into your journey? Because I don't know if this was part of your journey whenever you were an earlier runner and running seems like a really good vehicle to start learning about yourself. So when, when did this kind of start for you? You mean in terms of just, yeah, like that self-awareness or yeah, self-awareness are you talking about and specific? Then, well, the self-awareness of, Oh, I actually might be saying things to myself that aren't serving me, how can I say things differently to myself? And, you know, how can I start having a different perspective on what all of this means? Yeah. Yeah. There was uh so, I mean, I've always been pretty able to talk about my feelings and say how I was kind of, well, uh, maybe, you know, make fun of myself a little bit for, for things that I was thinking and say like, I know that's not true, but that's what I'm worried about. And so I've always had that connection with friends to where they appreciated that. But then there's a few moments throughout my um, like college university time that stick out to me being that um, one was um, I remember being so nervous my freshman year of college. So first year. I remember being so nervous before races that I just started like absolutely melting down in the race, like almost throwing up before every race. I was just so, the amount of pressure I was putting on myself was so much that I got sent to a sports psychologist and he told me, you know, like 
what would you tell a seven your 17 year old daughter or what would you tell um, a best friend and that was a really light bulb moment of like yeah I definitely wouldn't say like you're worthless you're so you know you're going to screw this up and all, all those horrible things I was saying to myself so that helped in one of my finer moments or not fine moments when I was probably a few years into university and I was just in this stage of obsession with performance and and uh doing the best that I could that I went to I went to the athletic trainer with a pain that I was having and he sent me to the doctor and I got a bone scan or x-ray or an MRI I can't remember and when the results came in it was a few days or a week before we were leaving for the national championships. And it was a, um, came back as a stress reaction. I think it might be the only stress reaction I've had actually. And I crawled under the table in the athletic training office under the athletic trainer's desk and just started crying my eyes out to where he shut me in the room. He ran upstairs to get my coach because he just was totally clueless as to what to do. And so, you know, my coach talked me off and made me feel better. And, and But then I realized I was like, I am way too attached to this to be crying as if someone's died when all it means is that I can't run one race or I run one race on an injury and then take some time off. And so I think that was another moment. And then there's just been, yeah, other moments that have made me think like, maybe that what that voice is telling you is not the truth or it's not what it thinks it is. And, and journaling, you mentioned journaling and meditation. Those have both been big tools I've used, particularly actually journaling, um, writing a letter to myself. I would always start it very much like, okay, Tina, as if I was giving myself a pep talk. And then by the end, the, it would turn to like first person of like, I, you know, you are tough and you're going to get through this and you're fine and you're going to appreciate this or sorry, I am going to appreciate this and I'm going to be stronger and all that. So I think there's lots of little moments that reminded me of that, but also having tools, yeah, like journaling or working with a therapist or a psychologist, which helped a lot as well. Yeah. So it sounds like creating some distance so that you could talk about what was going on to somebody or to yourself in a way that helps you not just focus on this one pinpointed thing. Cause when you get stressed, you tend to just like narrow your focus so much that it's hard to really understand what's even going on. So broadening that focus was something that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not easy to do in the moment and particularly when you've been training for something like when you like in marathoning, you have maybe two races a year that are your big races and you've been training for it for months and preparing And so that's not so easy to just say, oh, well, when you know you've given up, you know, a few months of your life to prepare for this. But it's, yeah, like you said, zooming out and recognizing that even if it didn't go how it should have, it doesn't mean that whole three to four months was a total waste and you might as well have not even bothered, but it's going to build on to, to future seasons. Yeah. Something that I think about a lot is like expectations, having realistic expectations, but also ones that are going to push you a little bit. And it's, it's such a difficult relationship because if your expectations are too high and you're always setting them too high, you might feel disappointed, but if they're too low, then you might not be getting enough out of yourself, but then expectations and goals are also, they could be similar, but they could also be really different things. So yeah, I, I walk around in circles thinking about expectations and goals and like, what's the right expectation I should have for myself so that I can feel good about what I'm doing. 
Yeah, I I used to be very goal oriented and yeah, expectations. And I would say it very much in terms of like, I need those to help me perform, to help me stay committed, to help me stay focused. But as time's gone on, I mean, I personally feel like so much freedom and enjoyment that comes from saying, I'm going to do the best I can with the situation I have. And I'll see what happens. And I know that that's not always the case. You know, if, if someone is training for the Olympics, you can't just take that approach. Like you have to at some point commit. But I think there is too much pressure on having it be that dangling carrot that always gets you out the door because it just layers on that internal pressure more and more. We talked about identity at the beginning that if I don't achieve this, then I am a failure. Or if I don't do what I said I was going to do, then everyone's going to point and laugh at me. And I remember being in many local races during my elite years and thinking, you know, while a race was going on, if it was going badly, being like, oh, everyone's going to look up my time. They're going to go to the website. They're going to see how slow I ran. When in reality, maybe two or three people did. Maybe a few people thought, oh, wow, what happened to Tina? In a passing thought, like literally, oh, I wonder what happened to Tina. And then five minutes later, that thought was gone from their brains. But like, I would obsess that people were judging me and thinking I was useless and, you know, she must be doing so bad or whatever. And I just feel sorry for myself that I spent all that energy, even in a race, when I was supposed to be using all my energy on doing the best I could in worrying that other people would would see what I had perceived to be good enough and think it wasn't good enough. So yeah, it's it's hard to find that balance. But yeah, I personally am leaning more on the side of less goals and expectations and kind of let the result take care of itself. Yeah. And I think that that's really relatable across multiple areas. Like it doesn't even have to be in sport because a lot of our lives can be really visible. And we think that people might only love us if we're successful at something. And, you know, maybe we learned that love is conditional growing up on being, you know, good. If you think about like the popular kids or, or whatever, you know, I wasn't one of those kids, but <laughs> you know, it just appears that if you're, if you're winning, you're doing all these things and you're more lovable and disassociating that is really challenging. But I love that you said, you know, I'm not so focused on the goals and expectations, but I'm focused on doing my best and being proud of what I'm doing, regardless of what the outcome is. Yeah. I, I mean, that's taken a lot of time to get there. I, I could kind of do that during my elite level. I, I got towards the end to the point where I could be in my, on my hard days or on the races and I wouldn't look at my watch. I would instead listen to what my body said, but still there was very much that those thoughts in everything that um, I have to do this to yeah, get the love or get the success or, or be good enough for people to value me. Or once I get to this, then people will value me. But now I recognize how many things change within any given situation. Like I quite often have friends who I run with and they'll say to me, I had a really bad day, my or really bad run. This happened and that happened. And I'll be like, well, let's look at, let's walk backwards and see your last five days, shall we? Like, let's talk through what you did the last five days. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. I guess when you put it like that, I am doing a lot. I'm like, yeah. But it's that kind of thing where we, if we can go into everything thinking, you know, I'm going to look at where my life is at. I'm going to try my best no matter what that means. 
it's just freeing because it takes out the weather it takes out the the stress of life it takes out the other little things that might be bothering you um the sleep and it just tells you you know did i do my best yep okay well that's all you can do yeah and i think this is a great segue into deciding to become a mom because all of these different things that we've been talking about apply that's why sport is amazing because it applies everywhere and any, any challenge that people are taking on the lessons that you learn can apply anywhere. So like, how did you decide to become a mom and what was that like for you? Yeah, for me, I think I, I, well, I know I'd always wanted to be a mother. Like I'd very much kept that. I knew that was going to be a piece of my life that I wanted. I was going to find a way to be a mom some way or another, even if I couldn't myself, but it was for the actual choosing to become a mom was very uh, snap and sudden. As I mentioned earlier, I'd reached a point of burnout and I also was dealing with some health issues being that I hadn't had a period in nine years. And I was very, very aware of the fact that you can't have a child uh, if you, or you can't give birth to a child if you don't have a period. So I very much, it was my sister having a baby combined with burnout combined with my health issues that made me a point where like okay it's time I'm done I'm done with running I'll do what I need to do and I'll become a mom and I was very fortunate to fall pregnant very quickly like 10 weeks after I stopped running but yeah I mean I think more for me the lights going on about my future was when I found out I was having a little girl and thinking about the idea of going, of bringing another little girl into this world who all these not good enough, all these, you know, you need to look like this. You need to act like this. You need to be polite and nice and kind and whatever. All these things uh, that I had experienced and internalized, I was about to bring someone into this world who was going to be taking on those same messages. And that was a real turning point for me of thinking, okay, how can I change this? How can I, yeah, like you said, we said about uh, talking to her about nervousness now, how can I take her life and, and make her be able to talk about being nervous and not have to stuff that down? Or how can I show her that the way she looks doesn't really matter and say to her, you know, now, if she says, I want to be a princess, can you put on a dress too? I can say, oh, that's really fun. I love that you're enjoying yourself as a princess. I'm actually really comfortable in what I'm wearing. It's trying to like instill those as much as I can before I get, before she gets to the point where peers influence more than me. Those things that I wish someone would have told me. Yeah. And I don't know if you experienced this at all, but for me, when I had my son, I actually became more gentle on myself like more gentle with my body or like if I go out and do an interval workout and it didn't go very well, I'd be like, no, nah, like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> he loves me anyway. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's one thing that's also nice to see. Yeah, I would think the same thing of like, I'd, I, I'd hear people say like, oh, I think of my child and it really motivates me to push myself harder. And I never really understood that because for me, if I thought of my child while I was running hard or doing something hard, I'd be like, well, she loves me whether I do this or whether I don't do this, whether I sit on the couch all day or I don't. So, um, yeah, I love that, that they just like unconditionally love you. So, yeah, we talked about trying to perform or trying to uh, hit expectations. Well, whether you hit them or you don't, they just don't care. Yeah. And it just gives you 
a good reminder of that. Like that's what you're trying to remind yourself of. And then you just get a full dose of it. Like, Oh, actually. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually matter. Exactly. And you see it again with the, you know, with a toddler when they're learning to walk, my second daughter has just started walking and, and, you know, every time she falls down and gets back up, I'm like, yay, you know, you can do it. And, but we just don't give ourselves that same grace. If we don't make something the first time round, or if we think we fail, we're like, oh, you're useless. You can't do this. Whereas for a kid that age, we're like, come on, keep trying. And that, yeah, again, it's that gentle approach rather than they're like berating and expecting that to work. So when did you start your podcast, uh, you know, amidst all of this? Yeah, I actually started at the same time I was trying to get pregnant. I had been hosting a different podcast for a running company and I'd done pretty well at that and found I enjoyed it. But I very much wanted to, again, get that vulnerability, that honesty from other uh, elite athletes or people I was interviewing to just not be putting on a front, which is what I think many elite athletes had been trained to do was tell, like you mentioned earlier, have, having, or maybe you didn't mention it. It was when we were off air, I think, but having like a perfect response to things um, and answers that you, you know, already have thought through their answers. And I wanted to have a place where I could ask people and get through to the truth and hear them say that they were struggling. So around that time, I decided, okay, well, if I'm not going to be running, I can still inspire a community and I can still help people not feel alone and remind them that they are in this together and be able to say like, I'm not running right now. And when I did start running again, I was starting maybe not from scratch, but from a very, a place I hadn't known in a long time, like being unfit. And so I could go through it with them and say, you know, it's hard for me right now to run 20 minutes. And yeah, so it was a good way to work through the emotions I was going through. Yeah, a clear vision of what brought you joy and purpose and what you were doing. And then you're like, hey, a podcast is a really great way to do that. Yeah, it was before podcasts were definitely like a big thing. Um, But it also was, they were established enough to where I could really jump into it and, and give it a go. And I love having conversations with people. I love connecting with people. And I'm not really a video person because again, like video, you have to be thinking through a lot more of um, what you look like or what the angle is and what people, you know, there's just so many other factors to think through. So podcasting was like perfect for me because I could just have a chat with someone. Yeah. (laughs) I was just thinking about that because it's like when the video is on, you're like, oh my gosh, it's a mess behind me. I have to clean it up. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I'd love to shift gears again and talk about some of these new initiatives that you're passionate about, um, your podcast, Running Realized, Climate Change, and also speaking your truth, because I think especially as females, that's a really challenging thing to approach. Yeah. So going from where I was with the podcast, being able to ask people for their honest answers, I realized that, yeah, while I was saying the truth about a lot of elements of my life, there were some things that took over my thoughts on a daily basis. And I was thinking about all the time that I wasn't really talking about publicly because of fear of being told, stay in your lane, stop talking about those things, get back to talking about what you ate for breakfast or what, you know, training run you should be doing. But for me, particularly when it comes to the climate emergency, that is always on my mind. Like it's, I, 
I'm thinking about in everything I talk about. I mean, it's come through many times here and, and, you know, rightly so it's something we should be talking about, but also you mentioned running realize that's my other podcast I host with Knox Robinson. And we work through kind of challenges within our society. We look at them through a running lens. And even though it's a running podcast, I actually don't think it needs to be for runners because it's just looking at society and some of the, the issues in a way that is using running as an example. But the, the idea is to open up our minds and, and change our perspective. So we might have like what it's like to be a, a, gen, a non-binary person running in a trail race. Or we might talk about, like I mentioned about the uh, Native American runners, what it's like to be a Native American runner and really feel that connection with the earth and, and the, you know, the, the world as a whole. Um, or to look at what it's like being a mother and trying to compete at the Olympics. So we talk about things that we have a lot of work to do as a society, but you know we haven't really figured out a solution and we try and give people key takeaways for things they can do. And that's another part of these projects that I love is that with as much of this as possible, I like to give people actual, actual things they can do right now because so much of what's going on right now, we feel it feels too big. It feels too out of control for us because we only are this small person. And, you know, you hear about the fossil fuel industry and you're like, okay, but I can't take on the fossil fuel industry. So what am I supposed to do? Um, but if you can give people actionable things they can do within their own life, then it helps us to feel connected to it, but also to, yeah, do our part to make a difference. What are some of your favorite actionable things people can do? Well, one that people, one that immediately comes to mind climate wise is like offset your travel, you know, as much as you can try and minimize your flights and, and travel. But if you do have to travel, there's ways of offsetting and it's not very expensive, but it's a way of at least doing a small part to change that. Another thing I like is thinking about the way that you cheer for people, um, you know, uh, within that gender binary, uh, non-binary and, and gender binary episode, we talked about the fact that, you know, people might not like the fact that you say, come on girl, you know, um, or something that is yes, maybe simple. And, and people may say, oh, you're overthinking everything, but, um, maybe someone doesn't want, you know, to be yelled at in that way. Or what if someone is coming back from running, like I was where you, everything is about intensity and they're just out there having fun. And if you keep reminding them that they're fifth place girl, then they, you know, you're bringing that competitive expectation side of things back. And then to give one more is to leave um, the headphones, leave the music, leave the technology behind sometimes and get out in nature and just, just be there, be present. And it's so easy for us now to grab our phones and be like, oh, I'm just going to walk to the mailbox. I'll just take my phone and check something on the way, but leave that behind and really try and pay attention to your surroundings. So those are a few that jump to mind. Yeah. And even just letting yourself be bored. Like my husband and I ordered some takeout and I intentionally left my phone at home and I intentionally stayed in the car and I was just sitting in the car it was like silent. I was so bored and it was so the like weirdest twitchy. feeling. Yeah. And I was like, ah, what, I got, uh, like, what am I, can I, can I like read a hand sanitizer bottle? Like I gotta do something. <laughs> yeah. but I was like, no, no, no. Like this is important to feel I this know. like itchy bored feeling. 
I know it's so hard to do nowadays. Like it really, we're so used to, I mean, even sometimes I think about it when I'm like walking up the stairs and I just check something, I'm like, do you really, (laughs) are you unable to spend 10 seconds just doing an action? Um, yeah, it it is. It is really funny. And actually I want to add one more, just as you being a mother and, um, many listeners probably being mothers too. Um, one other one, which I absolutely loved, which was suggested about motherhood was, um, to tell mums out there that you see exercising, uh, maybe pushing their kids in a stroller, or maybe it's a neighbor that you see out getting a run in early or doing weights in the driveway, tell them they're doing a good job and like they're inspiring you because as you know, and I definitely know here, it is hard to get out there sometimes when you're a new mum, And so hearing someone like observing and appreciating and recognizing the fact that you've made time for yourself is a massive boost. So that's another little small one that I loved hearing. Yeah. And I want to go back to the cheering comments. This isn't my viewpoint, but I'm sure some people listening probably have this viewpoint of, well, if I can't cheer for, like, I have to worry about what I'm saying to somebody, like, why should I even cheer? Or like, people are way too sensitive. Like there's family members of mine where I've had these conversations and that's their response to me. Like Mm -hmm. the world is way too politically correct, way too sensitive. It's hard to hear those comments sometimes, but Mm -hmm. it's, I also think that I I know that you had orange J Sofer on your podcast as well about communication. People just want, you have to listen to what people are saying and try not to get defensive, but like, what is, what would your response be to something like that? Firstly to say, I get it. I hear you. And that was my initial thought too. I mean, one of the other suggestions on that episode was to reach out to race directors or people in charge of events that you know and say to them, can you add a a third category of, you know, prefer not to disclose gender or non-binary or some other third category. And I, for me, that was easier, less intimidating than the one about the comment, because that's an easy, actionable thing I can do. And yes, that you feel a bit awkward emailing the race director, but that felt less uncomfortable than me working through what you're saying, which as I understand that too. And I personally actually quite like hearing like, great job, you know, first lady or like, yeah. great job, girl. But I think it is understanding that it's, it's that empathy piece of we don't know what it feels like to be in another body. And just as we understand that there's certain things you know you wouldn't say to a man like oh you're so emotional because that would be seen as an insult well I guess for a man or a woman but you know men don't want to be seen as emotional or weak so like just like saying to a man like great job showing your vulnerability there like I don't think someone would say that to a man or to a woman I don't think they'd say like you looked really gritty out there or you look so tough Um, although some people would, but I would imagine the people who would have a rebuttal to that comment wouldn't say that thing and just remind yourself, yeah, that we don't know what another person is going through and we need to respect that, that we are all different and none of us like it when others judge us and assume that we, as we said at the very beginning, we have a certain identity, we fit into a certain box. No one likes that when someone assumes something about us. So things are changing in that episode, or maybe it was another one, we found out that um, 30% of, oh, what is the new next generation called? Gen Z? I think so. <laughs> yeah. 
or millennials? No, I think that was, I think it's Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. Um, whatever the newest generation is, 30% of them are identifying as either trans, non-binary or LGBTQ. Um, wow, I had no idea. It was 30%. That, that statistic. Yeah. Hmm. So like, I would also say like, this isn't going anywhere. So you can either really try and put yourself in the shoes of that person or you're going to find yourself getting worked up and worked up and worked up and stressed and angry over something you can't control because at the end of the day, they these individuals are, are the only people that control what they're saying about themselves, just as we can only control what you say about ourselves. Long-winded think, answer, but I'm not sure, but that's the best I got. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about sitting with your own discomfort because mm-hmm. like it is uncomfortable when you don't know what to say, or if you screw up and say the wrong thing, or if you just are unaware of what's going on, like that isn't a discomfort. And I think sometimes people shrink away from that discomfort because they don't want to feel incompetent, but really like trying not to learn all also can contribute to you feeling incompetent because you don't know exactly. I mean, nobody knows exactly what's going on at any given moment. And a lot of times we don't have answers for everything, Mm -hmm. but just opening your mind and opening the conversation so that you can at least try to understand. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of us have been working on, especially in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I, again, like, it's not easy. Like I definitely, um, you know, when I, when I am talking to friends who are non-binary, the amount of times I slip up and say she, or say he, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to say that I was, and I like over, cause I'm like in my head, oh my God, what have I said? What am I doing? This is hard. I'm all wrong. When in fact, I just need to say like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, they, and then move on. But it is difficult to, you know, not then be like, well, why do I need to use this? Like, you know, things were fine as they were before, but, um, the more we can, yeah, just keep putting ourselves in other people's shoes or understand that we're never going to understand how some people feel. Um, I feel like the better off we're going to be in every situation. Like, however, we all have opinions about people in um, with different viewpoints to ourselves, but the more we can give love and empathy, even if someone is making bad choices um, in terms of, you know, um, harming others not even someone who is you know making a choice about how they want to live their life I'm talking about like harming others we still need to give them love and think okay why are they acting in this way yeah man there's we could just go on about so many of these topics and (laughs) yeah yeah, but I'm so glad that you came on the podcast and we talked about so many different things and there's a lot of food for thought for people. And that's why we do this. It isn't to tell you what to do or tell you that you're right or wrong, but it's just to help bring up some thoughts and maybe some conversations around, you know, the listeners, friends and family, and yeah, maybe even challenge your own views sometimes. Like I know that when I listen to podcasts, it's uncomfortable when I realize like, oh, my views might be like really narrow in this area and I have some work to do yes and I think we all it's hard again back to that vulnerability thing it's hard for us to accept that and think that I mean we've mentioned so many points of this of you know think well I I've evolved the best or I know the most or I read this and to think that we have that superior viewpoint but 
I don't know about you, but I love the idea of, of continuing to learn and grow and evolve over time. And that's going to mean some of the things that even now that I'm diehard, like this is the right way to do things. Probably in 10 years, 15 years going to be like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the best choice. So we, we, it isn't that, you know, one person knows all the answers. We all are going to be continuing to learn and grow, hopefully. So where can people find all of this amazing information that you're putting out there? And you also have products that you sell on your website too. Yeah, thank you. Well, if someone didn't get enough of rambling and talking in circles, um, (laughs) you can find me on social media. My name is Tina Muir, T-I-N-A-M-U-I-R. Running for Real is the name of my primary podcast. And then Running Realize, there's 10 episodes in season one. And we're in talks about a season two right now. So that hopefully will be out early 2022. And yeah, I have some training plans on there, a mental training course and yeah, just some other products if people are interested. And thank you for for the shout out for those. That's appreciated. Well, thanks, Tina. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so that others can find this show as well. And I sincerely appreciate it when you guys share the show with your friends or even on social media because that helps the show find others. And it also helps my guests see that you're listening and that you're enjoying their interview. I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.